Hello, everybody. Welcome to Epic. If you are new with us, my name is Trent, and I would love to meet you. If you're on campus, I'd love to meet you in our lobby after the service. If you're watching online and if you live local, love to meet you as well. Uh, Otherwise, welcome to Epic. Uh, Thanks for joining us online. Now, for those of you who are new with us today, you came on a great Sunday because today we're starting a brand new series, and I'm going to start this series called Thrive in kind of a weird way. So I'm going to ask you about six or seven questions that are going to sound really weird, and they're going to take us really deep, really quick. And I would love to hear whether you identify with any of the things that I'm going to ask or not. So if you do, just respond by raising your hand. Does that make sense? All right, about three people got it. All right, so hopefully it'll make sense as we go along. All right, so, so here we go. If you're watching online, feel free to participate by giving your answer online. So here's the first question. How many of you are concerned about the condition of our world today? Anybody? Just a bunch of hands, okay. Um, anybody concerned about the direction our nation is headed? A bunch of hands. Anybody concerned about the division and hatred that's in our world today? Okay. Anybody concerned about America's struggling economy? Okay. Anybody concerned that America is losing its place as a world power? Okay. It's a little frightening. Anybody concerned for the next generation and what they're going to be facing? Okay. How many of you are concerned about this new thing? called AI that we're hearing a whole lot about. And apparently, it's going to take over the world in the next few weeks, if not months, maybe days, maybe hours, maybe by the time we're done with this service. (laughs) It will be in control. Not sure. How many of you are unsure how to live your faith in a world that doesn't seem to support faith? Anybody concerned about that? Okay. So uh, if you didn't come in today with any concerns, Maybe you have a few now. And you might be wondering, why did I come to church today? Or why did I tune in online to be encouraged like that? Well, again, there's a lot of us that are concerned about our world. And you don't have to to be a Christ follower to just be concerned about our world. There's a lot of different people concerned about our world right now. There are people who are Christ followers, people of faith who are concerned, people who would say they don't have faith. They're concerned as well. There are people with a lot of money who are concerned. People with a little bit of money are concerned. Uh, There's older generations are concerned. Younger generations are concerned. Across the board, many of us are concerned about the condition of our world right now. I was talking with one of my non-Christian friends recently, and he said to me, he said, Trent, this is not the world I grew up in. He said, things are very different today. And he was very concerned uh, about our world. So again, uh, you don't have to be a Christ follower to be concerned about the situation that we're in. And the reality is we aren't the first ones to be concerned about our world. If you look back even over the past 100 years, uh, there have been many concerns in our world. If you think back to the people who survived the Spanish flu in 1918, which took the lives of between 20 and 50 million people. You think they had some concerns back then? They had a lot of concerns. People who lived through the atrocities of World War II 
in the 1940s, which killed between 35 and 60 million people, they were concerned about their world. There have been many strange, challenging, concerning times in our human history. And today and over the next five weeks, we're going to explore something that happened over 2,500 years ago that involved God's specially chosen people, the Israelites, and specifically the kingdom of Judah. So if you're not familiar with Israel and a little bit of their history, uh, under the leadership of King Solomon, the third king of the nation of Israel, he brought them to be a world power. Like everybody had large amounts of respect for Israel at that time. Many of them were afraid of Israel. But you know that guy, uh, Solomon, who had like all the wisdom in our world, that he was the wisest man who ever lived? He made some really stupid decisions later on in his life. He disobeyed God and his kingdom was torn in two. There was a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah, and it was a smaller kingdom. So we're going to look at the story of Judah a little bit. And if you're not familiar with their story, here's a little bit of the backstory for them. In 722 AD, they were defeated by the Assyrians in battle, and they lived under Assyrian oppression and as their slaves for just about 100 years until the Babylonians raised themselves in power and defeated the Assyrians in battle. And when they did that, they took many of those from Judah back to Babylon as captives to live there as their slaves. And you can imagine if that were to happen to us, all the concerns that we would have being forced to move to another country and live by their laws and live in their culture and worship their gods, like imagine there would be a whole lot of concerns. The Babylonians, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, practiced human sacrifice and perverse sexual acts in worship of their main god called Bel, B-E-L. It was also known as Marduk. Now, one of the people who lived through those challenging, concerning times was the Old Testament prophet Daniel. And the amazing thing about Daniel is that he didn't just survive those days. He learned how to thrive in that pagan culture. Uh, He learned how to thrive so much in that pagan culture, he was promoted to a very high level in the political office there, and he held a high-level office over four different kingdoms with four different pagan kings. And I've often wondered, how in the world could Daniel do that? He served the one true God. How is it possible for him to thrive in that pagan environment, in those pagan cultures. Like, like it's crazy to me that he, he was able to pull that off for 70 years. He didn't pull that off for just a few months. He pulled that off for most of his life. So we're going to learn from Daniel over the next few weeks together and how he was able to accomplish that. Now, Daniel's story was so intricate, uh, especially from chapter 7 through 12, because it involves some end-time prophecy. We could spend months just studying those chapters, but we are going to limit our scope to answering one question throughout this entire series. So here's our question that we're going to answer. How can we thrive in a world that's falling apart? Like, how can we thrive? Not just survive. If you're a Christ follower... 
Jesus didn't come and die so that we could just survive. Like he didn't come and go through all those atrocities just so we could barely make it in the world that we live in. Jesus said he came to give us life in all of its abundance. Okay, so we define that very differently today, often different than the way that, that Jesus defined it. And that doesn't always mean health, wealth, and prosperity, but Jesus came to give us life in all of its abundance and for us to experience rich blessings, rich spiritual blessings today and for all eternity. So we weren't meant to just survive. We were meant to thrive. And even if you aren't a Christ follower, God wants you to thrive. He wants you to thrive today. He wants you to thrive for all of eternity. So whether you're a Christ follower or not, I think this is going to be a great series for all of us to teach us how to thrive in a world that feels like it's falling apart. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1. If you want to follow, follow along in your Bible or in your Bible app, and today and in this entire series, it would be a great time to take notes. So we're going to cover a lot of information. If you're looking for handles for how to navigate the complexities of our day and age, then taking notes will help you remember that. You can do that old-fashioned way, paper and pen. You can pull out your phone. You can take pictures of the slides as they come up. However you take notes, I do recommend that you take notes. Now, there are two main characters and five supporting characters in Daniel chapter one. So here are our main characters. Again, we have Daniel, the Old Testament prophet uh, who came from the kingdom of Judah, which was in Jerusalem at that time. So he was taken as a captive over to Babylon. Then we have King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the second king of the Babylon Babylonian culture. And he took over after his dad, and he built it to a spot where it was a world power. And when Nebuchadnezzar set his sights on defeating a kingdom in battle, he accomplished that. Everyone was afraid of King Nebuchadnezzar. The interesting thing about him is that God used him to fulfill some of God's purposes even before he ever acknowledged that there was a God, because he thought he was a God. And Nebuchadnezzar is credited with building the Hanging Gardens. So if you're familiar with them, uh, they are one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And King Nebuchadnezzar brought those to us. Then we have some supporting characters. Uh, in Daniel chapter 1, we have Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These are friends of Daniel. And if you know their story, you might recognize these names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then the, the second uh, supporting character is Ashpenaz. So Ashpenaz was the king's chief of staff. He was in charge of all of the officials in the palace. And um, if you're like looking for a unique baby name, <laughs> just saying, nobody's picking Ashpenaz this year. So you might want to go for that one. All right, then we have Ashpenaz's no-named assistant, which he plays a role in Daniel chapter 1 as well. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was a powerful king, but he was a brilliant king as well. He knew that the people that he brought to his nation as slaves, they would always want to fight against him and try to overthrow him. And so he came up with this strategy to keep them as slaves. And Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 tells us about that strategy. It says, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. 
Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure that they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens, and they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. So King Nebuchadnezzar's strategy was to take some young men from the nations that he had conquered, put them through the special training program, and buy their allegiance. He gave them the best that Babylon had to offer. They got the best food, they got the best education, the best clothes, the best homes, the best of everything. And that would buy their loyalty. If you think about it, for them, slavery wouldn't be such a bad thing. It would be for the rest of their people but not for them in this special training program. And they would naturally help to keep their people as slaves because of their own greed. Again, Nebuchadnezzar was a brilliant king, and he understood something about our selfishness and our greed and our own depravity. And he tried to leverage that. Daniel chapter 1, verse 6 tells us that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen from the tribe of Judah. Verse 7 says the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. So Daniel was called Belteshazzar, meaning Bel protect his life. Again, Bel was the main god of, of Babylon. Hananiah was called Shadrach, and that means under the command of Aku, and Aku was their moon god. Mishael was called Meshach, which means who is like Aku. And then Azariah was called Abednego, which means servant of Nabu, which was the god of learning and writing. So when you think through Nebuchadnezzar's strategy, he wanted to erase every memory that these guys had of their home, even to the point of changing their names giving them Babylonian names. He wanted to erase everything. He said, don't even think back there. Like, you, you don't ever want to go back there. Just stay where you're at in this spot in his kingdom. Now, again, I'm sure that many of the slaves in King Nebuchadnezzar's training program thought, you know what? Slavery is pretty nice. It's not all that bad. Except for Daniel and his three friends. It put them in a very tough spot. Some of the food that they were told to eat was forbidden by God. God said, don't don't eat that food. So if they ate the food, they would be violating their faith. And if they didn't eat the food, they could be executed by this ruthless king. So let's put ourselves in the story for just a second. Imagine you're Daniel. Imagine you're Daniel and his three friends. And, And here you are in this spot faced with this dilemma. Like, what do you do? Do you obey God and face King Nebuchadnezzar's wrath? Do you obey Nebuchadnezzar and just pray and ask God to understand your situation? You know, that's something that uh, often we do when we're pressured by the culture around us. When the culture tries to force us to live in a way that doesn't honor God, sometimes we can convince ourselves that God will understand, like, I know this is, this is crazy. I know I really shouldn't be doing this, but, but God will understand. Everybody else is doing it. And if I don't do it, I'm going to stand out like a sore thumb, and I don't want that to happen. So, yeah, God probably will, will understand. And it's easy to convince ourselves of that. 
Now, what makes this situation even more interesting is that Bible scholars believe that Daniel and his three friends were between the ages of 12 and 15 years of age at that time. So let that sink in for a minute. They were middle school, early high school. And think back to when you were around 13 and some of the decisions that you made back then. I know for for some, you got to think back quite a ways. But you remember some of those decisions that you made when you were 13? Probably not some of the best decisions out there, huh? And yet these guys are in that spot. So what would you do if you were in their spot as a 13-year-old, faced with the temptations of the Babylonian culture? You know, I wish that I could say I would always serve God no matter what. But I was 13 at one time. And I do recall making some really stupid decisions when I was 13. And you know what? Since then, I've made more stupid decisions as I've grown older in my life. And, you know, I wish I could say that that I would be as courageous as possibly Daniel would be. But again, uh, it's a challenging situation that these guys have found themselves in. So in a moment when... Uh, These guys are forced to make a very difficult decision. They're forced to make it in a season of life when many of us make poor decisions. So again, think about the situation these guys find themselves in. Verse 8 tells us what Daniel and his three friends did. It says, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. And if you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid that the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. And at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. Verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. Verse 17. God gave these four young men unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. And we're going to look into that next week. Verse 18. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. And Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. So uh, that last verse about King Cyrus uh, gives us a picture of a 70-year time frame. That was a fourth king that Daniel served under. So an amazing story of God's faithfulness to some young men who decided to obey God no matter what. And I think the key to their success is found in verse 8. 
Verse 8, it says, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the king's food and wine. So he was determined to obey God no matter what. This wasn't a young teenager at his first wild high school party trying to figure out whether he should drink or not to fit in. That wasn't Daniel in this moment. Daniel had already determined what he was going to do when he was put into some environments that he would feel uncomfortable around. He already had decided. He decided in advance what he would do and what he wouldn't do, and God honored him and his friends for that decision. Now, out of curiosity, how many of you besides me have ever made a really stupid decision in your life that you regretted? Anybody? Okay, so a whole bunch of us have, have made those kind of decisions. Like, like, you knew you shouldn't have dated that person. Like, you knew it. You knew you shouldn't have gone on that trip. You knew you shouldn't have hung out with those people. You know, you shouldn't have tried that thing that you were offered. Like, you knew you shouldn't. And, and I'm not saying that you learned from your mistake. Like, we, we've all experienced things like that. Like, I didn't see that coming. Wow, I'll never do that again. I'm talking about decisions that we go, um, yeah, I know there's consequences but I'm going to muscle my way through it. Like, I'm going to make that decision anyway. And a friend might come along and go like, hey, time out. Like, do you realize like there's danger around the corner if you make that decision? And we, you know, with our bold confidence go like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yep, I know. I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, some of you might be in that spot right now. Hopefully not. But we've all been in those kind of situations. We've all made those kind of stupid decisions. But think how... Applying Daniel's strategy could have helped us with some of the decisions we've made in the past that we regret to this day. Like if we had decided in advance, like this is how I'm going to live, or this is what I'm going to do, or I'm not going to do. Like imagine how that would benefit us. Imagine all the regret that we wouldn't have, the regret that we would be able to avoid just if we decided in advance. So we can look back on that and understand how valuable that strategy is. But what if we decided today to live differently tomorrow? What if we decided today, you know what, I'm going I'm to follow God in his plan no matter what happens, and imagine how that can impact us tomorrow and all the regrets we could avoid tomorrow if we decided today in advance how we were going to live. Like, I really think that we could thrive in this chaotic world as it seems like it's unraveling around us, I really think we can thrive if we decide in advance how we're going to live. So what do you need to decide in advance about? What do you need to decide in advance about? Maybe some of you need to decide in advance what you will do or won't do with some of your friends. You know, right now in our world, there's a whole lot of pressure to do all kinds of things. And, and that's for our, our kids in, in school. That's for kids in college age. That's for young adults. That's for older adults. There's a lot of pressure from people to do things that don't honor God. And if you find yourself around people who regularly pressure you to do things that don't honor God, guess what you need to do? Get some new friends. It's time to get some new friends. It's time to find some friends that'll encourage you 
uh, on your path and your relationship with God. And I'm going to read into this story of Daniel just a little bit because it's not specifically in the passage about this, but it certainly seems like Daniel had a big influence over his three friends. It doesn't read as if the four of them got together and decided in advance how they were going to live. It doesn't read that way. It might have been that way, but it doesn't read that way. It reads as if Daniel said, I'm going to live a certain way. And guys, won't you follow me? Won't you join me in this? And it reads as if those three said, yeah, Daniel, that's the right decision. We're going to follow you. So they teamed together, the four of them and decided in advance how they were going to live, and God honored them for that. So maybe that's what some of you need to decide in advance about. Maybe you need to decide in advance how you're going to engage the hot topics that our culture is wrestling with. You can't turn around for five seconds and not bump into a hot topic in our culture right now. You can't turn on your phone. You can't turn on your TV. You can't turn on your computer. You can't go to work. You can't go shopping. You can't go anywhere without a hot topic charging at you, uh, demanding that you engage it the way that it desires to be engaged. The interesting thing about Christ followers is we tend to go to extremes. We tend to go to the extreme of either condoning or condemning. We either run out and condemn everybody who's not living the way that God wants them to, or we condone them and say, you know, it's it's okay. God loves you. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. Now, does God love everybody? Absolutely. What did Jesus say the greatest commandment was? Love God and love people. But there is so much confusion today about what love means. Our world desperately needs to see God's love lived out through those of us who claim to be Christ followers. Again, not condoning the world, not condemning the world, but speaking truth and love to the world. Jesus gave us the greatest mission we could ever be involved in. In Matthew 28, he said, go into all the world and tell everybody about me. So that should be our mission. Sometimes we get distracted from the mission. Sometimes we forget about that mission and we get wrapped up in side missions, some shadow missions that that don't lead to God's mission for us. So Maybe we need to decide in advance how we're going to navigate some of these complex issues that are facing our culture right now. Maybe we need to decide in advance how we will resolve conflict with people we disagree with. You know, right now in our culture, it is acceptable if you and I don't agree with each other to cancel each other. Say, well, you know what? You don't agree with me? Then I'm just going to block you from everything in my life. And I'm going to disagree with you vehemently. You know, that is the craziest thing ever. That comes from the pit of hell. You know, it's actually possible to disagree with people and still love them. You know, it's possible. Like, yeah, so we should do that. We should live that way. In person or maybe even on social media. Like, we could still live that way in those environments. We need to resolve conflict because it was a big deal to God. It should be a big deal to us as well. Uh, Maybe some of us need to decide in advance how we will live out our faith again in a world that doesn't support faith really well right now. So how are we going to live out our faith? Are we going to live it out in certain environments, you know, like when I'm in small group or, you know, when I'm around my Christian friends at work or, or maybe on Sundays at church, I'll live out my faith then. But then when I, you know, get away from those environments, like, I don't know. I don't know if I'll 
shine my light that brightly. So maybe we need to decide in advance how we're going to live out our faith. So what do you need to decide in advance about? I truly believe we can thrive in a chaotic world, but we need to decide in advance how we're going to do that, just like Daniel did. In just a minute, our worship team is going to close us out with a song about building our lives and allowing God to build our lives. So while we sing, I encourage you just to spend a few minutes talking to God about what you need to decide in advance about. Just have a conversation and say, God, what do I need to decide right now about? And then and choose to live that way regardless of what comes around the corner tomorrow or next week or next month or, or whatever I face at home, at work, at school. What do I need to decide in advance about? And allow God to speak to you about that during our final song. And one of the reasons I love Daniel's story is because sometimes we think that kids and teenagers and young adults, like they can't really live for God. Like sometimes we think, you know, our world is, is just too negatively influential and it's just going to scoop up our young people and they're going to have to go out and sow their wild oats and hopefully on the other side, they'll come back and God will be able to, you know, piece their lives back together and they'll be able to live for him. You know, sometimes like we think that, but that doesn't have to be the case. And it's not the case. Not every kid, not every teenager, not every young adult is being swept up by our culture. There are many who have decided in advance to obey God no matter what they face. And those young people need our support. They desperately need our prayers. Here's the really cool thing. We have some of those young people here at Epic. And I want to introduce you to some of them. So take a look at this picture. All right, about three people know who this is, apparently. <laughs> and two of you are real excited. But let me introduce you to our graduating seniors in our student ministry called Surge. So these are our graduating seniors. And they are all headed off into what we call the big bad world. And if you remember when you headed off into the big bad world, how you could have used some support, some prayer, some love, some guidance, they need that. Some of you know these young adults. And you can provide some of that to them. Some of you don't know them at all, but you can certainly pray for them. So let me tell you a little bit about them. On the left here, we have Genesis. Genesis is headed off to UF. Um, anybody think that UF might need a little bit of Jesus light shined in it, like over there in Gainesville? Like, maybe. And, and there are those that are doing that. We have other students that are there doing that right now. But she's headed there. She needs prayer and support. This is my son, Cody. He just turned 18 yesterday. This is a weird thing for Tammy and I. We have four kids. We now have all adult children. It's a weird thing for us. It doesn't mean they're you know, out on their own. It just means they're adult kids, okay? So this is Cody. This is best friend Josh. This is their friend Bianca. These three are headed to Word of Life Bible Institute in upstate New York to learn about the Bible this next year. This is Bianca. Bianca is going to Daytona State College. You think Daytona State College needs a little bit of light in it? Like it does. And uh, she's going to be attending there and staying active in our church family. This is, uh, um, man, 
Madison, thank you. Wow, that was a horrible thing. Madison Bliss, I am so incredibly sorry for that brain freeze right there. This is Madison Bliss, and she's going to Florida State College in Jacksonville, and we'll be staying connected to our church family. So we need to be praying for them. There's a, another senior that's not pictured here. She wasn't able to be uh, at this uh, uh, event when this picture was taken. Her name is Valerie. Valerie plans to be a missionary in Moldova. Isn't that amazing? Here's some young adults who've decided in advance how they're going to live for God. We need to pray for them. We need to support them in any way that we can. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray for them. And then when we start singing, I encourage you to Circle back in your conversation with God about yourself and ask God, God, what do I need to do to decide in advance to live like Daniel? So if you would, stand with me. Let's pray. And then we're going to sing. God, I am so incredibly grateful for the story of Daniel and his three friends. Lord, even though it happened over 2,500 years ago, it seems like we're reading a story that, that happened yesterday. Lord, they were faced with a culture that was not honoring you. They were forced to live in that culture. And, and they didn't just survive. They didn't justify their behavior and say, well, God will understand this is the world we live in. They held tightly to their faith. They decided in advance how they were going to live, and you honored them for 70 years. You honored them. So, Lord, you helped them to learn how to thrive in those pagan cultures. So, Lord, it feels like our nation is becoming a very pagan nation. It feels like we're stepping away from your values and things that honor you. And Lord, as that happens, we've got some decisions to make. We can choose to live for you no matter what, or we can justify our behavior. We can say, oh, everybody's doing it. God, I'm sure will understand. But God, I pray that the story of Daniel that we'll be studying over the next few weeks together will speak so clearly to us, and it will give us real handles on how to live in our current day and age. And Lord, we pray for these seniors that are graduating. Lord, they're heading off into that adult world out there that, that many of us adults understand. It, it can be a scary place. Oh, there can be a lot of temptations, a lot of things that are thrown at us that want to pull us away from our relationship with you. So God, we pray your wisdom over them. We pray that like Daniel and his friends, that you would give them an abundance of wisdom and discernment and protection and encouragement and surround them with other people who will join them on their journey of deciding in advance how they're going to live. Lord, let their light shine for you so brightly that they will transform a generation. We thank you for them. And we pray for them as they step out into this world. Thank you, Jesus, for being the one who builds our lives. Lord, may we allow you to build us. In Jesus' name, amen.